0: Are biased. The Idaho Press Club are biased. All media, newspaper, radio. To be completely blunt here, Brian, and there are plans to expand indoctrination. That's right. Well, Idahoans are also concerned. Horror shot. That line would be moving a little bit farther west. I'm like crying. Nobody wants to Dark see Dark money is influencing policy in our state. Well, that's not how this works. Well, hello there and welcome to Nowhere to Hide. I'm Brian Hyde, and it sounds like the legislature's one day special session went off without a hitch. Hence, uh, today's version of Nowhere to Hide is a very special legislative session, much in the same vein that our after-school specials that a lot of us grew up with on television were a very special episode of Blossom or or whatever the case may be. But uh, yeah, lawmakers got together. They, uh, it looks like for the most part, signed off on something that was already pretty much agreed upon. There were maybe 15 individuals out of these lawmakers who did not sign off on the bill as it was written. And we're going to talk about why that's actually a little bit of a matter of controversy because uh, it seems like this was a bill that was written by the governor as opposed to legislators. And essentially as, as you're going to hear what uh, these legislators did who passed the, the governor's bill in this special session was essentially just came together to ratify the executive's decision. Now, why would that be a problem? Well, It ties into uh, because they're different, separate branches of government. They have different duties. And the lawmaking branch is the legislature. But let's take a look at a couple of the headlines. we'll we'll get a a feel for what the the news media is mostly reporting in jubilant terms of, oh, look at this, you know, uh, legislators. okay omnibus bill. Idaho lawmakers move efficiently during one day special session to pass tax relief, boost school funding. All right, fair enough. That's the Lewiston Tribune signing in there. Uh, Betsy Russell at Idaho Press, special session, big tax cuts, education and funding boosts signed into law. Let's see who else is celebrating here. How about the Idaho Capital Sun? <clears throat> Idaho legislature passes tax cut education funding bill in 2022, special session. Governor Brad Little signs legislation into law. Legislature will decide how to appropriate the funding come January that's actually kind of an interesting development why did we have a lame duck governor and uh, and uh, lame duck uh, representatives or or uh, legislators come together to to sign this i mean was it was it really an emergency because i think that was that's one of the reasons why the legislature can be called into emergency session is in the case of an emergency well this is why we bring them in was this really an emergency Anyway, one final headline here. Idaho governor signs massive tax cut education bill. Governor Little has signed a massive tax cut and education spending bill made possible by the state's projected $2 billion budget surplus. Now, look, I want to be encouraged by the idea that, wow, $2 billion. That's a lot of money to work with. That is so cool. And it kind of is, except that's really the taxpayer's money. So, I know there's there's an attitude that comes about when uh, when people in government or in bureaucracy get their hands on money. So that's our money. We made that. Let's be really clear. They're not the ones who worked for it. Someone else worked and created the value that created that money, which was taxed away from some productive citizen and now finds its way into government coffers. But to pretend that uh, this is the government's money and they're the ones who came up with it and look how generous and how magnanimous they are. Yeah, it's it's easy to be really a good guy. When you are using other people's money. Legislators know this. So, to get a, a rundown on how the, the the session went, I would point you towards Brian Allman and his Gem State Substack. And I I have been reading his Substack. I actually subscribed here a few weeks ago, and I have just been uniformly impressed. And, and I know that you're thinking, well, that's because he must agree with everything that you say. And it's not that, it's that uh, he appears to be a very well-informed very uh, passionate and and I think actually a very witty writer too he he brings uh, he brings some gentle humor to it but above all this guy is credible and he is not enemy driven in the way that he goes about reporting stuff he definitely has a take which i i can absolutely respect but i don't get the feeling that uh, you know this is some ideologue lecturing me and wagging his finger and saying you have to believe this so if you haven't checked out the gem state substack from Brian Allman, you really should And I I love his uh, summary of of how this all came together. He says, Governor Brad Little's bill was introduced in the House first thing in the morning. Representative Judy Boyle's alternative of a, a property tax holiday instead of more money for public education wasn't even given a hearing. House and Senate leadership made very clear they were convening for one reason only, to confirm the bill drafted by the governor. And Brian says in that, this event did not represent or did not resemble rather a legislative session so much as a king calling his courtiers to the palace to ratify his edict. Now, that may seem like a trifling thing to some folks. Why are you picking at this? They have very different, (laughs) they have different jobs. The executive branch should not be making laws. Didn't we get a lesson on this during COVID? Didn't we see what happens when we allow non-lawmaking bodies who are unaccountable? to make policy that's then enforced like law? How did that work out for us? Because I'm thinking that didn't go nearly as good as some people meant for it to go. Brian uh, Allman writes, it's ironic that this occurred just weeks before voters will decide whether or not to amend the state constitution to allow the legislature to call itself back into session. Now, that proposed amendment was born out of the executive's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, wherein Governor Little refused to call the legislature back to Boise to deal with the emergency, preferring to rule by fiat through the bureaucracy and allocate federal money with no legislative oversight. Now, again, for people who just want to get the money administered or just want to see some kind of policy happen, I'm sure that's that's a relief. Well, finally, we're getting things done. There's a reason that these auxiliary precautions are built into our systems of governance, though, and that check and balance and that separation of powers, it matters more than you know because it prevents a lot of mischief. Several legislators called attention to the blurring of the separation of powers during debate in the House. Representatives Heather Scott, Tammy Nichols, Ron Nate, and Judy Boyle all called out the fact that the governor was writing legislation and that the bill contained multiple subjects in clear violation of our state constitution. Representative Vito Barbieri said it well, we do have the authority to fix this, but we don't have the will to fix it. Heather Scott made perhaps the most damning point about the whole affair. When she pointed out 24 of the governor's co-sponsors were either Democrats or lame duck Republicans. And that it was wrong for such a group to pass legislation in a special session that binds the next legislature. You see, the $410 million in education funding allocated by this bill was not appropriated. That's actually going to fall to the next legislature who will decide what to do with the money. Governor Little called the legislature into session under the auspices of an emergency. But if that were the case, Brian asks, why not wait till the next legislative session to decide whether or not to allocate this money? He says, to me, it looks like the governor and the legislative leadership felt pressured to do something rash and rushed right before an election. They have to get the headlines now about unprecedented and historic investment in education while worrying about the details later. By the way, I applaud his use of un- unprecedented and historic investment in education. He used those words deliberately. And actually, when he spoke before the uh, the legislature, uh, Brian Allman pointed out those words, knowing that many other people were going to be hinging on that. And, and sure enough, a lot of the speeches mentioned unprecedented and historic investment in education. He was, uh, he was doing it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he correctly put his finger right on the pulse of where many of these folks were coming from. Brian says, my biggest takeaway from observing the process in person is that our elected representatives have far less power than we think. Once the governor and legislative leadership decided to make this happen, There was not much that anyone could do by putting three subjects, including tax rebates, tax cuts, and education funding into one bill and getting lame duck Attorney General Lawrence Wosden to sign off on its constitutionality. The governor made sure most naysayers would find themselves forced to vote in favor. In fact, he says, I lost count of how many legislators said variations of I don't like this, but I'm going to vote yes anyway. That is an observation, by the way, that I picked up from a number of people besides Brian Allman, who uh, were paying attention to that session. This was it was a predetermined thing that was going to happen ahead of time. Now, Brian Allman asked, is this just how things are done in 21st century government? We've seen at the national level how Congress has delegated much of its own authority to the executive branch. Is this just the nature of politics now? Is there a path back to Republican government in our state? He says, I look forward to seeing what the 67th legislature does to reclaim its constitutional authority. Why does this matter? You know, he references a Republican form of government. I know there's a lot of talk right now about, but our democracy, what about our democracy? In fact, we'll spend a few minutes on this and on President Biden's remarks last night as well. We don't live in a democracy. And perhaps the best way to illustrate why we don't live in a democracy is to remind you that democracies are founded on the idea of majority rule, meaning 50% plus one. What the mob wants, the mob gets. And yes, I'm comparing it to a lynch mob. The lynch mob, what we want is what we get. And if there's enough of us that we can say it's a majority, then anything goes. That's how democracy works. That's how a mob works. So if the mob wants to loot your retirement account, well, it's tough. It sucks to be you, but uh, this is what we want. Now, under a republic, that's not going to happen because in a republic, government is strictly limited and is given the assignment from the get-go to protect your natural rights. What are these natural rights? Well, they're the things that limit government power over you. That's a good thing. And no matter what, even if 99% of the people want to do whatever it is they want to do, your natural rights limit government's power to, to be abused. So... I would definitely take that over a democracy any day. And again, I want to applaud uh, Brian Allman for, for writing this up. There was something else he pointed out too, and that is you're gonna hear a lot, even, even though you know nearly $400 million in, in spending now being given to the schools, that's a pretty big commitment, and, and I'm sure. But I have a wife who's a public school teacher, I'm positive that the schools will look at this as, oh, what a great injection of money but we are, we're never going to hear the end of, well, our schools are underfunded. Even now you're starting to hear people talk about, well, but it's, it's a start, it's just a start. In other words, you acquiesce to us, but there's more that we're gonna be demanding from you. So what are the numbers that actually matter? Well, uh, Brian Allman pointed out, uh, his representative, I think her name is uh, Gayanne de Mordaunt, says the numbers that really matter are these. We are sixth in the nation. Okay, not dead last, sixth in the nation in terms of funding as a percentage of our total budget. And fourth graders rank about 17th in math, 12th in reading, and so forth. So maybe that uh, that last place or 49th out of, you know, 50 states, that's not telling us uh, a very complete picture about what's really going on. Well, there's going to be a lot of work for the upcoming legislator, legislature to do. And in between now and then, we've got, uh, you know, midterm elections. I do agree with Brian's assessment that I think a lot of what drove the <clears throat> what drove the um, need to get this done now was the need for some good press prior to these elections. We've got to have these headlines showing what was it again? oh, yes, the unprecedented <laughs> historical investment in education because that's what great people do. All right. I'm going to shift gears now because uh, I think we are seeing, as of last night, I, I think we are, are hitting a little bit of a tipping point here. And I don't know if you had a chance to uh, to see the president's remarks, but uh, when I put this picture up, uh, I shared this with a couple of friends. And the first thing I got was, dude, is that photoshopped? This is not a photoshopped picture. This is the president standing in front of the blood red and black background, pounding his fists and the his- He's just, if if this isn't straight from central casting of, okay, we want to make him look like a dictator. I mean, he's got armed Marines off in the background, you know, on the sides there. It just, it seems like this was a made-for-television production. And I have to say, the color scheme really worked. I, I seemed to, it brought back great memories of uh, when Joe Biden was uh, going to save us by the power of Kalima as he holds the bloody beating heart up for us to watch. It was uh, it was probably one of the most divisive political speeches given within my lifetime, and I'm not just saying that because uh, because Joe Biden was the one giving it. It was this was tar and feathering at least half the country as a threat, like an existential threat to say it with me, our democracy, which we don't really live in a democracy. So I, I'm going to substitute my own interpretation here. This is not our democracy he's talking about that he's concerned about. It's it's our dictatorship or our authoritarian system. But half the American voting public, roughly, I mean, 70 million, 80 million voters to declare that, well, they're all just MAGA Republicans and they're all trying to overthrow everything. Wow. Talk about uh, telling people this is where you want to point your gun. This is where your targets are. That's the kind of talk that the president was engaging in. So if you think you've heard some talk about extremism and, you know, uh, fascism, I think he used the term semi-fascist. But, you know, even after his speech last night, the president is walking it back today and gaslighting people. I didn't really say that. Oh, yeah, they're downplaying it. But uh, I think we, those of us who, who actually love and appreciate freedom and are willing to stand up for it, get ready. You're going to be called much worse things. Um, this is a, a headline from the St. Louis Dispatch uh, Journal, or Post-Dispatch, rather, editorial board. Biden calling Trump's movement fascism was jolting, but the case can be made. Oh, and it can. It can actually be made very convincingly. If, for instance, you throw away your dictionary and you just kind of change and make up definitions on the move, yes, the case can definitely be made. And and I just have to wonder, do, Are these guys just ideologically driven? Have they ever really looked up the definition of fascism? Have they ever looked at historical examples? Come on, it wasn't that long ago Mussolini was standing there with his chin out so proud. Fascism, like its ugly cousin socialism or communism, is a form of collectivism. Okay, it stands against the rights of the individual. Here's the difference for those who are keeping track, because they, they try to make the case, well, when people say that you know the president is part of a socialist movement or there's communism afoot, well, that's just as bad as calling people fascist. Not really. I mean, you'd have to take it on a case-by-case basis. But bottom line is Mussolini put it this way, under fascism, everything under the state, nothing outside the state. So the state is the ultimate authority, and again, very collectivist in their thinking. You have no individual rights. That's something you need to keep in mind. Communism, on the other hand, and socialism to a lesser degree, is everything within the party, nothing outside the party. But the bottom line is, it's still collectivism. It's still somebody making all the decisions for you. And the rhetoric is is getting Disturbing. I was going to say scary, but they want you to be scared. And I, I don't know that you need to be scared, but you need to be aware. Right now, there is uh, roughly half the country, or at least uh, people who claim to represent half the country, are identifying the other half of the country, those who are not on board with them and their agenda, as some kind of as an existential threat. And with the language that they're using, how far can we be from them saying, "Well, it's time to take direct action"? After all. This is an existential kind of threat. So here's an example of what I'm talking about here. This is uh, white supremacy. You know, anything to really tar and feather people is is being pushed as, as well. Anybody who doesn't agree with this must be racist. So look at this same person here, a, f- a glimpse of a uh, future without white people. Oh, wait. And then if white people were here, this wouldn't happen. The majority black town flooded with sewage. So get ready. If you haven't been called a racist before, you're going to be called a racist here in the near future. And I wanna just share with you, this is a brief two minute clip, but I want you to look at the headlines that are being pushed and tell me that this is just, well, this is part of the healing and unifying process that President Biden promised he would bring us. Check this out and tell me that this isn't a drastic escalation against anybody who simply is not in lockstep with a particular left-wing agenda. Crazy stuff, right? And you know, I know there are those who would say, well, Brian, you're you're playing that as just simply encouraging hate. I'm not asking you to hate anybody. I'm not telling you to be resentful, but I'm sharing that with you so that you can see there are some really twisted ideologies out there at play, and they're being used by people not in in a position of an underdog. These are being used by people in very powerful positions, from the president right on down to uh, his enablers in the press. That's that's a big concern. In fact, I want to pull up a couple of quick comments here from from our uh, our chat here. Um, here we go. All right. Sorry, it takes me a second here. Tracy says watching the session yesterday was a huge confirmation what a disgrace our governor and his minions are to this state. Um, I had another question here about. So where is Idaho in spending? I don't have the answer to that question. I, and, I, and it's going to depend on which category. But uh, Jane, thank you for asking. You've given me something to to look up for the next one. And uh, finally, how about this one? The POTUS speech last night was very concerning. Reminded me of a speech given by a dictator about to eliminate their political opponent. I know that sounds dramatic, and that sounds like oh my gosh, you know, you guys are, are really talking about some some uh, crazy stuff here. But I don't think it's wrong. I I don't think that uh, I don't think that's overstating it. In fact, if we can if we can be so bold, I have one more slide I want to share with you here and that is if you believe in these things this is these are some of the warning signs of fascism. So, you might want to keep them to yourself unless you want to find yourself accused of being a fascist. If you don't want children being sexualized. If you want parents to have a say in education. If you believe in election security. If you're against forced masking, forced vaccination or indoctrination. If you want free speech, these are all warning signs of fascism, at least to those who are pushing to divide people along ideological lines and sometimes racial lines as well. And I don't share that with you again to make you mad. I'm just, this is, this is just time for awareness. Every one of us is going to have to have tougher skin. That's the kind of name calling. That's the kind of, of tar and feathering, you know, the virtual tar and feathering that we are facing at this point. So trying to wish it away. Not going to happen. This is where we just have to suck it up, see it for what it is, and, and take the high road. I don't care. you know. It's not so important that you and I have to agree on every single point. But whatever we do agree on, if we agree there's something that's worth standing up for, we have to take the high road. The ends do not justify the means by which we get there. If we have high and lofty ends in mind, liberty being one of those, Then we've got to stand up and and be the kind of people who use high and lofty means to to make that happen and that's not going to be easy there's an awful lot of disinformation there's a lot of deception out there and and just flat out fear-mongering you've got to be smart enough to think past that to be able to see past the the propaganda that's that's blasting at us 24 7. You've got to be confident enough to be your own fact checker and to trust your judgment. If something doesn't sound right or if something seems a little bit off, if there's a particular piece of policy you care about, you've got to be willing to know it backwards and forwards. Take it to your legislators or your other lawmakers and make sure that they understand it as well. It doesn't mean you're going to get your way. It just simply means there's work to be done and our voices are needed now more than ever. And I guess what I'm pointing out here, and I'm sorry I don't have better news, is the difficulty level is being dialed up. So embrace it for what it is. You now, it's life is hard. Life is not fair, and the best things in life take real serious effort to attain. Liberty, freedom, free markets, choice—those are all parts of those things. So I hope you found this useful. I hope it's somewhat uh, giving you some optimism. I know it's—I'm kind of like oh. <laughs> There's some pretty crazy stuff happening, but I have confidence that we're, we're on the right path here. The hardest battle I think that any one of us is going to win is the one within ourselves to understand what is true and be willing to stand up for that truth, even if other people won't. If that's a battle that you're fighting, first of all, know you're not alone. And secondly, know that uh, it's still true. Even if people in high places don't like it because it threatens their control over you, it's still a good thing and and your help is still needed thanks so much for joining us i'm brian hyde and this is nowhere to hide are biased the idaho press club are biased all media newspaper radio to be completely blunt here brian and there are plans to expand indoctrination that's right well, idahoans are also concerned horror shot. that line would be moving a little bit farther west i'm like crying nobody wants to dark see it. money is influencing policy in our state well that's not how this works